0: Um. Hello and welcome to The Social Economist, the podcast bringing you all of the up-to-date news on social economy in Europe. Today, uh, I'm very happy we're talking about one of my favorite topics, which is youth and youth in social entrepreneurship, young people becoming social entrepreneurs. Um, to dive into this really uh, fascinating and very topical topic, uh, I'm joined by my dear colleague Marcela Neves, um, so not my traditional co-host uh, Linda Schmidt uh, today, but so uh, some, some new blood on the podcast, and also joined by Julian de Bays, uh who's a legal officer working in DG Employment at the European Commission, who is one of the masterminds behind this Youth Entrepreneurship Policy Academy, which is the big uh, and very important policy and, and an academy and framework, which is driving the uh, European Commission and OECD's work on youth social entrepreneurship for the coming three years. Thank you very much for, for being available uh, to, to talk about this very wonderful and interesting topic of youth. Uh, and of course, we've got the youngest and uh, most experienced at the same time member of the Commission with us sure. to, talk, <laughs> to talk about this wonderful topic why did uh why did you end up working on this topic actually of youth and youth social entrepreneurship how did it come about as to be one of the uh the files on your desk
1: okay well uh traditionally uh our unit our, our team is responsible for what we call what we call inclusive entrepreneurship and inclusive entrepreneurship um Are the policies that are put in place in order to favor entrepreneurship by underrepresented groups, which are women, seniors, migrants, uh, people with disabilities, and of course, young people. So we already deal uh, with the OECD about these policies that want to favor people that are underrepresented in entrepreneurship to set up a business. And we try to look in member states what does work as a support and what does not work. So, youth is one of these target groups. And two years and a half ago, almost three years, there was um, a communication for the the commission, which was called Yes, Youth Entrepreneurship uh, Support, and also the Skills Agenda. And both documents were telling uh, okay, we need to do something to support young, aspiring entrepreneurs. And this request landed on our desk in the unit. And I gladly volunteered to, to try to do something. And what I did is I called my OECD colleagues that are really experts on that, because we don't have internally all the resources for, for this kind of project. And together, we designed the idea of a kind of a network for capacity building events um, whose originality would be to really gather policymakers and young people in order to, to 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 trigger better policies for young people for aspiring entrepreneurs and this is how the YEPA the Youth Entrepreneurship Policy Academy uh, was
0: born. Aha okay so that's where it all came from and yes of course joint uh, joint collaboration with the OECD which is good to mention uh, yeah. before we get upset for being left out of this uh, topic and yeah you mentioned the, the YEPA it's got a very upbeat and exciting name a network uh, for capacity building. What does that look? What does that look like, and what what does it really mean? Uh, this academy. Um, well, it, it
1: means that beyond the launch event that we got uh, in March, twenty twenty three, uh, we will have online sessions mainly, uh, but where really we will study a topic, actually a barrier for uh, young entrepreneurs. We will make people talk about it. We will ask some countries to present what is the state of play in their country, and we only we already got one session about access to finance. And we also um, ask participants to to solve some theoretical cases in order to really brainstorm about it. So uh, we got the first session uh, now in June. It was about uh, access to finance for young entrepreneurs. We. Who, who is that is one of the main barriers for young entrepreneurs to set up a business well we divided uh, the participants in two groups for the ease of debate so uh, you had nine countries per group and more plus the representative of young people plus the experts and uh, yes it, it, it gave great results we, we had some lessons learned and really ones that uh, these these lessons can be applied afterwards by policymakers. this is not we cannot force that but we strongly encourage it and at least we have seen that um, some participants have learned from other member states from other experts that's
0: already an asset it's a really
2: Mm big thing right now
0: Youth Entrepreneurship Policy Academy we should say
2: so you got to go in March how was it?
0: Um, Very nice. I came back from holiday, but of course, it was no disappointment to cut the holiday short to be surrounded by friends of the European Commission and from all the member states. 150 people, I think, is in the Yappa. Okay, so
2: who was there? What type of organization's representatives?
0: It's actually public Mm -hmm. officials, mainly. So Mm -hmm. it's uh, people from national administrations working on social entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship, um, and also people working on youth policies. Mm -hmm. So they were there. Then there's also a group of members. Uh, such as myself, representing um, European social economy networks. Mm-hmm. So we bring sort of a you know, a network perspective, a European mm-hmm. context. Uh, there's also the members of the European Commission who are observing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's run jointly with the OECD. They have a mm-hmm. unit on entrepreneurship and the unit on social entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and social innovation there uh, involved. And the most interesting group of people, uh, of course, is the... Young entrepreneurs themselves.
2: And okay, so these are individuals. Individuals,
0: yes. So I had a few presentations from them. Super, super interesting. Very inspiring to hear how young people can set up a business, mm-hmm. really. And social business as well. And be successful.
2: How will they interact within the, the different activities for, uh, in Japan?
0: So there's a series of workshops planned. So in this year, uh, actually, there was just one now on um, access to finance for mm-hmm. for social entrepreneurship. And next year, there's going to be another two. Um, one on uh, social entrepreneurship, which is very important, as Julian mentioned, or mentions, um, <laughs> depending on where this goes in the podcast. Also, the another one planned for later in the year. So there's, these are all online events. The uh, kickoff event was in person. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a great desire to have another uh, in-person event before the closing uh, of this academy, which is after three years. Um, so perhaps there's a possibility to uh, align it with the Council Presidency event of Belgium, which will be held in Liege um, in February. But we don't know. Maybe we see. I'm going to put some pressure on whoever's listening uh, to the podcast. So that They should try and find some funding for this, because it would be very nice uh, nice to see everyone in person.
2: And I'm thinking here to, to to the work of our members, the work of Euclid Network members, which are now across 26 countries in, in Europe. Um, how can they get involved? Um, can they get involved? What What do we expect the impact uh, to be?
0: Good local, question.
2: Nationally, yeah.
0: internationally? Uh, how can people get involved? Good question. I mean, through us, okay. we, we are there to represent our members of national associations for social entrepreneurship. Um, so that's a very important uh, way. But that also through influencing national um, policymakers. The whole idea of this academy is that people go learn about what, pe- what people are doing well in other places, bring it home um, and make things better for young people who want to start a social business. Um, and yeah, yeah, members should try to encourage policymakers to ad- adopt new policies, but also try to steer them in the right direction with their knowledge and expertise about the, the aspiring and, and also the existing entrepreneurs who are young and old, but in this case, specifically young. Is there a good state of play? Are young people becoming social entrepreneurs in uh, European countries? And are there lots of barriers or is it quite easy? Um, No, no. Still
1: today, you have a lot of barriers for young people. Um, So when during the studies, we ask young people if they consider becoming self-employed and set up a business. Nearly half of them say that they consider it. But we see that after uh, graduation, uh, less than 10% do it. So there is a kind of gap between aspiration and real implementation. Um, what we see is that even if the young people, so pe- young people are generally people between 18 and 35. But you have different definitions, but let's take that one. When, when young people uh, try to set a business, there are specific barriers, uh, which are access to finance. We already said it, but also the lack sometimes of uh, uh, entrepreneurial skills. Also, they have uh, poorer networks than more uh, senior people. Um, also, sometimes they, um, they have no credit history. So again, for access to finance is difficult and some bias that the society also have uh, with them that uh, make the, the, their, their journey to uh, business uh, less, less easy than, than uh, average. So we try to uh, address all of these barriers. And in some countries, it really works. So now I could refer you to uh, first the YEPA website, but also to all the knowledge that we are building with the OECD, in particular, the missing entrepreneur reports where each uh, member state is scrutinized. But in some countries, you have very strong uh, support mechanisms that help people to set up business. We have a lot of successful uh, programs uh, known that we also uh, put online. I can give all the links afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I will not name, but I, I think that France, Germany, some uh, some countries in the north are very good examples, but we have also interesting uh, example in Spain, in Poland as well. So many things work. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems that what is important is that to have uh, support from the outset, but also continuous support after uh, the startup phase. And you should not always go for uh, let's award uh, a bonus for the best project among hundred. You you have really that's the champions mode. It's it's very nice for publicity, but it's it's less effective than programs that really support longly a lot of people, and you have a better success rate with this kind of method.
0: Mm, I guess uh, the European Social Innovation Competition is coming to my mind as an example of a program which supports multiple winners.
1: Exactly. So competi- well. when you have one winner, it's it's good because it gives a kind of role model. It's also good. But if you want to really uh, have more successful project, you, you have to uh, provide a kind of larger support in phases. Um, and we have also supported business incubators to be more uh, mindful of, of young people. We have called this, uh, well, this project was called Better Incubation. They have a wonderful website www.betterincubation.org if I remember, yeah, .org Mm. or .com and um, one of the striking findings is that uh, well, for young people it's good to work on the business idea but it's your first work on attitudes and self-confidence so Mm. that was a specificity for this target group so there there are things that are working very well and also I think it's important because it just put Youth on the agenda, on the political agenda of the Commission, because mm. youth unemployment is still high in several countries. It's not, uh, you
0: know, yeah, it's dot not org, ideal. yeah dot org dot, dot com, but you forgot to mention dot eu, of course. But uh... I dot, <laughs> dot eu, yeah. <laughs> 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 I don't know which one it is, but. <laughs> Can I pick your brain a little
2: further and ask? have a a good example or, you know, uh, as you might, as you might have already seen last year, Toby was behind the compendium of good practices (laughs) at Euclid Network. So one of the things, one of the many things that he does is in fact, uh, compile these good practices as well as bad practices, of course, within the network and the members to really put this out there. So do you have any good practice or any good case study that you've come across? And I'm really putting you on the spot here. I know, um, regarding youth uh that you want to share you can get back to us later if you
0: want um that's a good question um and it was funny with the of good practice there were so many people who said they didn't have any good policies to talk about <laughs> but come back next year maybe there'll yeah. be something um, <laughs> No, I think uh, I went also recently to a, a launch event of uh, a project which was run by Eurocrowd, the European Crowdfunding Network. So shout out to our friends at Eurocrowd. It was all about how crowdfunding uh, could be used to support um, creative uh, people and young people in um, in yeah starting uh, projects and businesses. And it was very cool to go to see this uh, kind of final event where they had all of these young people doing all these super creative things. Um Uh, to support it. So actually, this is not a national example, it's a European project, but it's very cool to see how crowdfunding as a tool can also be used to support young people.
2: I am often intrigued by crowdfunding opportunities. A little bit fearful, I have to say, but Uh, On an individual level, this is also something you can work for, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, supporting it. See, I actually came up with a brilliant national policy, which I probably shouldn't give away on this podcast. Otherwise, I'll lose credit for it. Um, (laughs) But it's not about credit; it's about collaboration in the social economy. So I'm going to give it away anyway. Um, Which is that. So, um, for example, we're sitting here in benevolence kind of student loan scheme in benevolence is quite flexible, I would say, in a lot of ways. I'm coming from the UK, so it's not a flexible system at all. It just gets money out of you for decades to come. In benevolence, you're entitled to 10 years of student finance, wow. I think. That's very nice. It's or, Over these 10 years, you're kind of expected to finish your degree, or you have to actually reimburse mm-hmm. some of these costs, like you get free public transport. If you don't go to university in benevolence, obviously you're not taking up this 800 euros a month, whatever it is you can get for your student loan. And if you finish your degree in three years and go, don't go on to do further studies, you've taken three out of your set, uh, 10 years entitlement. Mm-hmm. What about the, those seven years for people who, you know, want to go start a business, want to or don't go to university in the first place? What about making some financing available to those people so they can have this safe, mm-hmm. uh, regular,
2: de-risked
0: uh consistent source of financing where they it's de-risked it's where you uh don't have to worry about making a profit immediately and you're young and you don't have any financing to fall back on any savings so if the state is prepared to you know take a bet on young people going to university and doing something uh great and successful after that why not take a risk also on people starting a business in the same in the same way
2: well for the listeners in the netherlands uh, why not?
0: Yeah, this is just a, a first draft. If you're interested in finding out more, let's let's get in touch. My email will be in the description as always. <laughs> we love it when we hear from our listeners. Uh, yes. So, yeah, there we go. Well, I think that's not a bad idea, though. No,
2: I think this would be very, very interesting. Because it's also
0: about then closing this gap between higher education being the way to get out of a yeah. uh, less-advantaged situation or that higher education is the only thing you can do and supported by the state. Yeah, Uh, you mentioned this uh, Missing Entrepreneurs report and the gap, the, the entrepreneurship gap between the people who say they want to start a business and and those who actually go on to do it after university. But I'm always curious, what, what about the young people who aren't going to university? Do they feature much in this sort of fo- uh, attention to support social entrepreneurship or is it mainly uh, a focus at people graduating uh, from higher education?
1: uh no we, we try to address uh, all the the categories of young people if i may say yes I- indeed um the well y- youth is diverse and indeed you have uh, people with a high level of studies and others um we try to to offer solutions to well, at least to discuss solutions. We don't offer solutions. The yepa is not offering directly, but discuss solutions and push member states to offer solutions. We try to discuss solutions for all categories of young people. For instance, microcredit can be a very good tool for um, other categories of uh, young people that have less access to crowdfunding, for instance, or to to credit, or that don't don't have the networks because they start very early uh, without even um, higher education. Mm. Uh, so that's one. Also, um, what I heard from microcredit institu- credit institutions in particular is that for in many rural areas, the issue is not so much access to capital because the activities that they intend to start as a self-employed are not so much capital intensive, but the issue is really about administrative support. So they want to start a business. They have the capitals either from family, friends or old savings. Um, but they really need, uh, well, to register an enterprise, to uh, have, a, well, to, to, to deal with social security contribution, and this kind of administrative support is sometimes missing for some young people that want to set up their business, um, mm. and this can be, be, be very useful. And also, of course, and this will be for uh, beginning of next year, social entrepreneurship is, in my view, a kind of entrepreneurship that really is possible for all kinds of. Uh, young categories of categories of young people because it's it's so diverse it's so it's such so many sectors that it, it can really um what well, it can provide solutions for for
0: many categories of people yeah mm, mm. i'm tr- thinking now looking at the future you talk about the EPO goes till 2025 and then the action plan uh goes till 2030 yep what do we expect and hope to see by 2025 and 2030 for for young entrepreneurs, or people who want to be uh, young entrepreneurs, is it going to be significantly better, or is it going to be more, more or less the same?
1: Uh, That's a good point. Well, uh, at, at the end of the YEPA project, so indeed in 2025, we'll try to meter the progress of the Member States. We'll not be able to directly link them to the YEPA, but we'll we'll see if the situation uh, is improving or not. This weekend, meter, we have a, euro uh, the euro fund labor label first survey we have different tools that or the the monitor the the global monitor uh, entrepreneurship monitor we have different tools that will help us to to assess the progress made we hope that they will be positive but you you raise a good point or uh, to which i don't have a, a question uh, a reply today is what do we do after the for for young people and indeed The implementation of the social economy action plan takes 10 years, but we we are progressing very well. And indeed, it seems that many of our deliverables will be uh, achieved uh, at midterm. So we'll probably need a new uh, inspiration from other parts. We will have a new commission also in, um, well, we still have one year with the current commission, but then we will have a new commission. The new commissioner for employment or for internal market service will probably have other IDs and new IDs, so it could also give a, a fresh start. Uh, no, I, I cannot tell you more. But now, but I, I, I guess that Euclid uh, will certainly be uh, able to provide us with many good projects and, and IDs that we could push forward. But the issue of young unemployment will not disa- disappear directly. I guess uh, what is very interesting is that it seems that more and more systematically. Um, you have a correlation between uh, young entrepreneur well pe- enterprise led by young people and not social enterprise, but at least values and societal or environmental goods. It's not systematic, and that's not a problem. You always need to start out business, of course. but there is a really strong aspiration for young people for uh, activities with a specific societal or environmental group. That's very clear
2: Consider yourself, you know, as part of the Euclid Network, but if you can take a step back and tell me, okay, what should be the role of European networks in furthering the youth agenda? Uh,
0: So one thing we just touched upon is collecting uh, information, so through things like the Social Enterprise Monitor, so that we can actually help make better policies. Um, uh, Advocating and lobbying for better policies and more policies, more focus on youth, explicitly mentioning youth, In strategies um, around entrepreneurship but also finance, Um, we can work with national networks so we can share best practices as well and help them um, in their work with national um, authorities and local authorities to make better programs. But I think one of the things which I'm always banging the drum about, um, which um, perhaps makes me a bit repetitive, but also maybe a little bit annoying, um, is the fact that at European level, there's a lot of different, very uh, interesting and very important programs, policies, frameworks developed and being implemented. Um, And I'd just like to see more of them being implemented together. Uh, So back in my uh, previous life, I was working or focusing much more on uh, education, European um, education area, um, which is all about bringing education in Europe into one space, quite similar to how universities have Mm -hmm. kind of become in one European space, but for all types of education. I mean, this plays massively into the skills agenda massively into uh, agendas around um, single market and labor market integration. So all of these things are working very much all around the same issue, same topic, but slightly different angle. But um, I always think there could be a little bit more overlap and also sharing of information between the different people working on these different uh, areas. Because uh, when you get people talking to each other, they do better things.
2: Definitely, yeah. And do you think it's just a matter of time? For the collaboration to reach such a depth, such a degree of trust, because what you're asking for, you know, the integration of all of these different programs, is a hefty ask.
0: Yeah, it doesn't have to be an integration of everything, it just has to be an awareness and trying to build on the synergies. Mm -hmm. So that if you have DG Grow or someone working on one Erasmus Plus project uh, or single market program project and you have AAC. Um, education, youth, culture, sport working on another one, targeting basically the same thing Mm -hmm. that they should be kind of working together to build on this Um, I think that's really important I think it is a matter of time until better uh, integration comes, it will come Um, and I think there will also be more focus on youth in the future because uh, at the moment as I said at the beginning, things aren't going very well for young people (laughs) Um, so things do have to change and things do have to get better and I am hopeful Um, but they will change while I'm still considered a young
2: person. (laughs) And on that positive note.
0: As a young person yourself, um, uh, what would your advice be? (laughs) What would your advice be? Depending on the definition. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if if it's uh, 18 to 25, I'm not even included. So there we go. uh, if you are a young entrepreneur yourself, or at this point, what would the advice be that you give to a young entrepreneur to, to uh, when they're starting out, uh, to set up a social enterprise or to become a social entrepreneur?
1: To become a social entrepreneur, um, my my first advice would be uh, to reach a network like yours. Really, I think it's very important <laughs> not to remain uh, alone. When you have a a business idea, especially for social entrepreneurship, uh, really not stay alone. Uh, Don't fear about failure. It's true that in in Europe, we still have a kind of um, uh, fear of failure. But uh, I'm not an entrepreneur myself. I'm (laughs) an official, so a bit the contrary. But I've seen many entrepreneurs in my uh, close um, friends or, or family or uh, well, it, it takes two or three tries before it gets successful. So uh, the, the the ideas that they have first that really motivates them to go into uh, entrepreneurship is generally not the one that will really um, make the society work, or, uh, the business work, and and deliver. It it is transformed by several crises. Um, and what I can tell the young people that will try that, it's it seems that it is. From outside, it seems that it is stressful, but let's more energizing that uh, salaried uh, work, that uh, being an employee. So it's it's a bit more stress, but in comp- in, in I mean, in compensation for the stress, it seems that the fact that you own and do you, you direct your own business gives a lot of energy. So it's a kind of a compensation.
0: Mm. No, no, very true, and I mean. Uh, there's always time to become a social entrepreneur after uh, become being a functionary at the commission so <laughs> yeah, well <laughs> i have a
1: family and i have a, i have children so you could say that i'm running a kind of small business with social objectives <laughs> but, uh, yeah no, no no i admire i admire those who, who do that it's also a kind of generic generational thing, thing in the sense that okay Let's let's be honest. Um, the perspectives that are given to to young people are less straightforward and less like uh, standard. That what I received like a bit 15 years or 20 years before. So uh, it's it's now that as there is no uh, model uh, which is obvious, people are asked to create a bit more, which is also yeah it can be a st- stressful, but it can be also a nice occasion. And regarding social entrepreneurship in particular, uh, now I, I'm surprised to see that we have so many tools for helping these uh, people that want to set up a business. You have incubators, you have networks. Uh, finance is not that much a problem in the end. You will find finance at some point. It's really okay. Do you have the the taste for, for that? Are you, because entrepreneurship is not for everyone. Huh? Some, mm-hmm. some probably may... It's not their thing, but if if it's your thing, you have you have many tools for for being successful. Successful crowdfunding is an option. Um, you can try. You can try, and also now that we try at least at your open level, that social security is uh, better for self-employed than it was before. Small progress are observed in many countries. So you, it's a bit less risky. Also, I mean, in terms if you fall heal or if you get pregnant which is important in young ages uh, it seems that you have some you you take you info before but you have some sort of protection even as a self employed becomes mm. better so that's also good news
2: i do want to bring you back to youth one last time yeah. and once again put you on the spot how is the european social enterprise monitor doing in regards to you know, mapping as much about youth as possible, right? Uh, better yet, is this the objective? Is this an objective?
0: Thank you, Martella, for asking me this wonderful question, which is, why don't we collect data on youth in the European Social Enterprise Monitor? Because we don't actually at the moment, which is a shame. Um, so, of course, it's an enterprise-level study and not an entrepreneur-level study, so that's one aspect. But you'll be pleased to know in the next edition of the Monitor, which is being launched in October, so coming up very soon, um, we will be collecting some information on youth and actually the age of founders and the average age of founding teams, because it's important to understand these characteristics um, if we want to design better policies, which is the whole point of the Monitor. So.
2: Indeed, I am very pleased to hear that. And if you did not hear the episode on data, then you should definitely uh, listen. Episode three. Episode three.
0: Please, not another survey. Before we go, Marcella, we always ask everybody, um, do you have a podcast that you would recommend for our listeners?
2: How much time do you want to give me to talk about podcasts?
0: I mean, we usually look for one to two recommendations.
2: I'm a bit of a podcast enthusiast slash addict. Good. Uh, You and I have already shared many uh, (laughs) podcast suggestions and recommendations before. I know we listen to some which are similar uh, or the same in addition to The Social Economist. Of course. Um, But there's one which is called Lives Less Ordinary. Okay. Um, I believe it's part of the, the group of podcasts from the BBC. We can put it in the show notes. It's one of these podcasts that... Well, it's called lives Less Ordinary. So every episode, it's about one person's less ordinary life. Everything from how I survived being um, uh, kidnapped by pirates in the coast of Somalia to I got cancer and survived. So it's all about extraordinary circumstances and how people have overcome it. What I do like about it is it completely takes me outside of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, 40-something minutes and... You get all the information you will get in that specific um, um, episode. And it's a bit of a breather from the context in which I'm in certain most time of the day. So <laughs> I take that. Um, it allows yeah, you to
0: escape the social economy.
2: A little bit. Uh, and sometimes, you know, find out that's actually how I came across Fallbart for the first time. and didn't even know it was a thing. <laughs> so um, life less ordinary. It's it's a good break. Um makes me feel like I should be more resilient than I am. Mm-hmm. So uh, that would be a suggestion.
1: What I can recommend to you, it's an historical podcast, which is led by Frank Ferrand. And is this, let me, how is it called? Au cœur de l'histoire. This is in French. And it's very good because, well, it's not that the good thing with history is that you you uh, it's not controversial so much because it's it's already done if I may say because I also li- like like about feminist genders and things like that but this is really it, it if you want to sleep after that it's difficult whereas when you <laughs> when you <laughs> listen to a podcast a historical one well as you know the end of the story it's really uh, appeasing, ab- <laughs> ab- and you can sleep very well if you listen to that. So uh, Occur de l'Histoire by Frank Ferrand, excellent.
0: Amazing. That's great. I mean, yes, a podcast which puts you to sleep. I'm sure people will be pleased, <laughs> <laughs> pleased to that. <listen> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this episode of uh, The Social Economist. It's been a pleasure to, to have uh, Marcelo with me today uh, and Julian as well. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening. Please do get in touch with us. My email is in the description. As always, it is toby at euclidnetwork.eu. Um, you can find uh, the links to the podcast and other uh, things mentioned during this podcast in uh, the show notes below. Um, and many thanks also to our producer, Jan Kishivara, who produces this podcast. Uh, Thanks for listening to The Social Economist. Until next time, goodbye.